Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is another episode of For the Republic. This is the aftermath of the GOP debate, the first one in Milwaukee this week. It's going to be another solo episode. Karen Deep's not here. Um, he's back from the Blackface Festival, but he's probably just um, listening to Andrew Tate and doing what he does. I, I don't even know what to say. I mean, he's probably frolicking around with the autistic kids he likes to be around. So, uh, let's get right into it. Um, I'd have to say, you know, the, this debate, it's been um, it's been a while now. We've been hearing it. It's been hyped up. A lot of camps, uh, especially the Santa's camp, uh, Christie, uh, Bergam, uh, all the candidates except for Trump have been hyping it up as it's, you know, it's that big moment where it's going to, uh, I guess in their view, it was really going to help them out. You know, they're going to have that moment. You know, Chris Christie's looking for that Marco Rubio moment on whatever candidate he can get a, his hands on, I guess it was either going to be Vivek, Vivek or uh, or DeSantis. And uh, Nikki Haley again reappeared. I forgot she was even running at this point. And then Tim Scott again. Um, I guess when you watch that debate, and then they're gonna, we're going to talk about a little bit about the um, Tucker and Trump interview, because that was also... Um, I have a lot of takeaways. I do. Um Maybe I mean I might surprise you guys with what I'm about to say about that one, but um, I think especially looking at this, my first takeaway is the 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 GOP after Trump has no suitable candidates, and I say that because regardless of anything, you know, I do like uh, the performance of Vivek and others. I don't think he's the future. I just don't think so. I, I think sometimes conservatives, a lot of times, um, and I think the DeSantis camp found themselves there is that they they stick themselves in the echo chamber and they and they think that the whole world is twitter the whole world is the daily wire the whole world is uh babylon b and and the heritage foundation and the young americans and yaf and yal uh yal yaf you know i i just think they they lose themselves and think that this that the real world everybody is just like them i was watching uh patrick with david uh his home team episode uh, the other day and uh, it's just like it's it's almost like an elitist tendencies that you know you believe that your worldview is the common man it's just on it's called lacking self-awareness obviously and i've made it a big point that i'm very aware of where i am and i'm not wealthy at all but these guys who are wealthy they just don't they don't realize where they are in the world they don't realize they have more or that they have it's not privilege because that's a played out word but they have advantages uh <laughs> Uh, Adam uh, Sosnick from PDB was talking about how, you know, oh, I save money and I make more money, so go do that. It's like, oh, that's the dumbest thing I've heard in a long time. That's easy to say, but there's no substance to it. Make more money. Instead, he could have said what he said later, and it's like, well, gr gr learn skills, gain skills, gain abilities, and go out and practice them. You know, if you're, if you're interested in making more money, identify an area that you have suitable skills that you can transfer them to. Maybe you can be a welder or a truck driver or get into finance and, and do stuff like that. Not, oh, just make more money and, and, and spend less and then say, oh, you know, I live in Miami. I Uber everywhere. You can't do that everywhere. You just can't. I know tons of working class, ordinary American families that, by the way, most families in America are apolitical. That's the other thing. A lot of them find themselves in that rabbit hole of going down into the echo chamber and they forget that they're, they're, they're nothing. They're, they, they can't relate. And so I, find, I always find it hysterical when a candidate says, I can, I'm just like you, I get it. It's like, no, you don't. 
you just don't. It's very impossible for you. The that's why a, a, a big part of not a big part, I guess a part of the support Trump has is that it's it's authentic. Not only is this is the very authentic part of him, but he's a billionaire and he knows it. He's not poor and he knows it. You know, and he brags about how rich he is and he knows he's not poor, but he identifies because he has employees that aren't wealthy and he's been around people that aren't wealthy and he can sympathize with their problems and he sees what's going on. He says, wait a second, gas is this high, inflation is this high, the border, this is this is a disaster, this is bad. And it's not because he's a billionaire and it affects him, it's because it is bad that the country's going down, going down to hell. And He's aware enough to realize that, okay, I'm I'm not suffering, but the people are, and the people matter because the people are the ones that are supposed to be in charge of the government, not an apparatus, a you know, a power apparatus in Washington where there are a bunch of unelected bureaucrats running things for decades with the presidents of the Democratic Party and, and some Republicans complicit. That's that's the awareness. And these guys who grow up on the stage have no awareness about their own flaws, their own strengths what they know, what they don't know, and, and who they are, really. So I hear them saying all these um, funny lines about how um, in sync they are with the American public, when in reality, they're not. And people don't want you to be their therapist. You know, Trump's not a therapist. Trump doesn't sit down and say, I get it. No, he just says, this sucks, but we, this sucks, and there's anger, and he, and he doesn't feed off of it, but he uses it, not for his own personal gain, but for, for political gain, because there is a lot of legitimate, I'm going to say that again, legitimate anger, distrust, association, frustration, angst that working class people like myself have with elites, with the governments that seem to be uh, involved covertly and then overtly with any, without any disregard or any remorse with things that don't benefit the American public. They just don't. And I can give you, Ukraine is a big example. So I'm going to get right into this debate. And um, before I give you the winners and losers of who I think did well, um, I just want to take uh, that, that first takeaway was that the post-Trump GOP is boring. And there's a problem with that. And people might say the DeSantis camp has gone out and a lot of their advocates on Twitter. I've been on Twitter all day just kind of reading reactions. And a lot of them are just thinking to themselves, saying to themselves, you don't need them to be entertaining. Well, yes, you do, because that's what attracts people to the party. People, most people in America are not political. They don't know things about politicians that we don't. They only know Benghazi when it's on the news, but they don't know about it. They don't know about 9-11 trutherisms, things like that, these, these political topics. They don't know about the Biden family. They don't know about the paintings. They don't know about the, the laptops and the sex uh, tapes and the scandals. And the, they don't know about all those things. They don't know about the classified the, and the Corvette and the money from the China Center. They don't know it until the media amplifies it because people are busy doing ordinary stuff. And by the way, if you're into politics obsessively where it's all you do your life is boring and miserable it just is it's not fun because you should realize that a big part of your of your life that you enjoy has nothing to do with politics maybe it's spending time with family maybe it's doing hobbies maybe you like shooting guns kayaking horseback riding painting going out to the bar playing pool bowling just talking with talking shit with friends that's fun that's fun but talking about politics with strangers online that's not fun this isn't this isn't the funnest part of my life i enjoy it i enjoy talking politics because i think we need more people talking about these sort of subjects in this manner where conservatives don't go down the line of i need a i need a pretty much a nerd like ron DeSantis who's boring and awkward and has quirks that just don't play out and then when people get to meet those type of things don't work i'm saying this because we need to keep it fresh 
But Democrats do well because they have popular culture and they have the media to amplify their ideological uh, and whimsical desires over people. So when so if you get someone like Taylor Swift or Katy Perry to endorse your political candidate, there's millions of people in this country who love Taylor Swift and they're not political. So when they see that, they say, oh, yeah, because the Democrats are cool. Why do Republicans get the bad name? Because they're never cool. They, they say stuff like that. Oh, I'm all about policy. And oh, God darn it, gee whiz. You're darn right. It's like, who talks like that? Come on. So we're going to move on and we're going to talk about uh, the beginning of the debate. There were some things that I found. Um, there were several topics that I found just that were very contentious, but are very important. And in debate, the debate kind of started off in a horrible way. And it ended pretty shitty, too, because it kind of I mean, the softball questions I saw the Fox votes who did, had no idea or control over the debate. I mean, the, the people debating them went wild. Pence was screaming at Vivek. Nikki Haley just interrupted Vivek again and just didn't let him speak and talked about how she's a woman and how she has experience. But a lot of this is dubious because she was the she was the ambassador to the UN for one year. One year. And then she quit because she said she wanted to go help the, the, the movement. Instead, what she did was go on uh, pretty much a speech, uh, speech, uh, a speaking uh, fee tour where she went to banks and corporations and everything and talked for profit. And that's fine. You can make a living, but don't be dishonest and say, I'm going to go out there so we can win in the midterms and then lose in the midterms. That's bullshit. That's complete bullshit. So that, that was one thing. And then the softball question was, Teresantis, how do you feel about that song? Uh, Northern, the men north of, uh, north of Virginia or something, or, or, or the Potomac, or whatever the hell that is, or uh, Richmond. It's a great song, you know. It's it's you know. I we can I guess we'll discuss that. I'll, I'll discuss that with Deep when he comes back. We'll do a reaction to the video. But my biggest concern with that was my biggest concern as to why I I never thought um this was the right you know um how do I put it. This isn't the questions that matter, you know. Uh, uh, we we fall into these like culture war things all the time. When the biggest things you should be addressing is Ukraine, and they do address Ukraine, address Ukraine. But you saw the key factions of the party. There was one person that supported the Trump, the Trumpian line of, "We have nothing to do with this war, but I'm gonna I'm gonna find a way to end it." And I think that's what Vivek was missing, because I think Vivek came out strongest as an anti-war populist message of. I don't think this war benefits us, not just in a sense of national security and geopolitics, but in a cost-benefit analysis. When we have bigger problems, and we have, we the resources we're sending to Ukraine, we could use them here. Now, his idea of going to war in Mexico against a cartel, that, that's complicated. That's probably not going to happen if he ever got close to the White House. And I don't think Donald Trump would do that either. There are other ways of doing this. Much of them is like actually enforcing the laws, like in immigration. The biggest part of the problem with that is not enforcing the law. So when I hear things like, well, we're going to go to war with Mexico. All right. You just want to go to war with somebody. You know, it's like you can't just enforce the laws on the books. Democrats just ignore them and let everybody in. It's not like they're making new laws to let everybody in. They're just ignoring them and then pushing those aside to let more people in and shipping them everywhere. That's not a law. That's what they do. They do it through executive action, through fiat, because they feel they've been elected and that they can do whatever the hell they want and satisfy any gains. But nobody voted for open borders. Nobody, nobody votes for that. So that was, an, that was one part. And then, you know, I think you saw the other wing of the party, which is the neocon, uh, the fake Reaganite view. And, I've, and I've, I've had a monologue before of how I think the Reaganites are just, were just the, 
the, most Reaganites, I think that are in elected office who claim to be Reaganites of like, I think a lot of them give Reagan a bad name. I don't think Reagan would have ever been a neocon. I don't think he would have ever liked that idea. I don't think he was. I think he was a pure conservative from 50s, 60s, and 70s. And there weren't any conservative presidents elected in the 70s. Um, Nixon definitely was not a conservative. He governed a lot like a moderate or I mean, more, uh, probably, I think it's very difficult. I think it's very complex because he did start federal agencies. He increased federal powers. It's very difficult to call him a conservative. But the Reaganites like Pence, like Burgum, like uh, Hutchinson, the ones that Christie like to call themselves, and Tim Scott, who calls them, who likes to, they, they're just neocons who can't wrap themselves around the idea, or probably just technocrats, because Doug Burnham is more like a, he talks like a Reaganite, but he's more of a finance-oriented person. He talks a lot, a big game about, and he's backed by corporate power, so he's more of like a technocrat stooge or something. Uh, but you saw the other the other wing, which is the old wing of the Republican Party, which is in favor of end of war. They they're just it doesn't matter who. And so they were pretty much I, I was astounded that nobody would bring up the fact that we have to find a way to end the war, even Vivek. I thought he would have said, you know what, I don't support the war, but I'm gonna end it. Especially Ron DeSantis, who who flip-flopped on Ukraine. I thought he would say something along the lines of, you know. I'm going to, I don't like that. Word. I'm not going to send troops over there. What I'm going to do is try to end the war because that's a noble thing. But Donald Trump says that and he, then he has a 24-hour mark and that just ignores the whole message. But then Donald Trump says, oh, I'm, gonna, I'm not just going to, I'm not going to send troops. I'm going to end this war and, and make peace. We're going to make a peace deal, a long-lasting peace deal between the Ukrainians and Russians because all the census killing has to stop because people are dying. And he says that and the whole Republican Party says, He's a stooge for Putin. How dare he say that? That's not right, though. It doesn't make any sense. And they ignore the entire history of the United States covertly and subtly, subtly, overtly uh, igniting the flames to conflict and eventually civil war and then war, all at war with Russia through what they did in uh, getting rid of uh, uh, the former president in the Orange Revolution, uh, pretty much... Uh, Pretty much ignoring the rights of Eastern Ukrainians who do speak Russian, who for the for like eighty to ninety percent of them are Russian ethnic or ethnic Russian and speak Russian, and then ignoring their rights because they're not native Ukrainian. I mean, that's like first of all, that's pretty racist, but it's a horrible view. And and people like Lindsey Graham, they're all of that school. They're all the Mike Pence, the Chris Christie's. They're all from that brand, that wing, that old wing of the Republican Party, the Romneys, the McCain's. I mean, McCain helped Obama inherit two wars and then create five new ones with other conflicts going around because the CIA was running amok doing whatever the hell it wanted to without any consent from the American people who it's supposed to work for. But that's ignored because if a candidate like Vivek goes out and says, I'm going to end the CIA, we ignore the things that they've done, the meddling they do and the things they do in terms of, uh, again, what they do against uh, Julian Assange. And then other things like when they attack Trump and attack the foundations of actual justice in this country and help a political party like Hillary Clinton, like the Barack Obama, like the Democratic Party, we ignore that and say, but what, what's going to happen if you get rid of them? Well, what just what what have they done in recent times to tell you that they even deserve to exist or even to give them a compliment? Tell me, convince me that they're doing a good job, because the reason I'm saying this is not because I don't like them, because they're just intelligent agents, because that's what they think. They, they like to say. All you guys just hate government people. You guys are all just old hickeys like the Waco and Ruby Rich guys. That's not who we are. It's like you ignore the things that the CIA did to attack us 
Exactly. That's exactly what they do. So I'm going to start off talking about um pretty much support for you uh the um the other the the next big thing the next big topic was effectively was um Trump support of Trump that was probably the second biggest topic um because I think a lot of people and I heard Kul Kalinsky um today who I always listen to just because it's asinine his takes I think he I think he has a personal distaste for it for Vivek Ramaswamy. I don't know why, but I think he has just a personal vendetta against him. I think he just doesn't like him. And it's a pretty ridiculous thing to say, especially, I mean, he called him a beta. Like, hey, first of all, he's calling someone a beta. That's hilarious. <laughs> That's hilarious. And then the other thing is, I mean, what what policy discuss, like, what policy do, uh, critiques do you have? I know you're a progressive, liberal, you got talked by Bernie Sanders. I get it. You're, you're that wing. You won't, you won't ever support him. So his idea of like, Democrats so Democrats aren't going to support any of these people. They're not. You think they're going to vote for Chris Christie over Biden? No. All the neocons that are coming out and attacking Trump who get praised by Democrats and get invited onto CNN, NBC, CBS, MSNBC, um, you know, routers, and PBS, and C-SPAN, and all these other networks, they're all pawns. They're all there to disrupt and distract and hopefully get Donald Trump out of the way. But they're all failures. Chris Christie is a failure. Issa Hutchinson is useless. Who's him? Derek Burton. Who? Tim Scott. Pointless. Nikki Haley. I forgot she was running. Chris Christie. Oh, seriously. And then it's Mike Pence. Again, bleh. And then Ron DeSantis, who's a donor bot. And then Vivek is just not electable, I think, on a national scale yet. I don't think people are ready to get buy into something like because I think most people don't know him. And it's not like people knew Trump. Trump had no political experience. People knew him. People knew he was wealthy. People knew he had money. People saw him, the glamour, the success. He was a household name for all decades. People knew him. People liked him. And they'd heard him before. But to say, you know, but but all those people were just distractions. And then, you know, Trump lingered over. That's, all, that's why at the end of the day, I think Trump won this debate because I think people got a glimpse of seeing deep down there were no suitable candidates had actually had anything to say. I mean, Ron DeSantis, I just don't think he won it. Um, well, I'll get into detailed explanations, but I'm going to start off with like exactly what happened to Trump because there is a little discussion as to like, you know, are you going to support Trump if you're the nominee? So let's uh, let's take a listen here. He's been indicted in four different states on 91 counts. He will be processed tomorrow in Georgia at the Fulton County Jail for charges relating to the 2020 election loss. You all signed a pledge to support the eventual Republican nominee. If former President Trump is convicted in a court of law, would you still support him as your party's choice? Please raise your hand if you would. Just hold on. So just to be clear, Governor Christie, you were kind of late to the game there, but no, you raised I, your hand. No, I'm doing this. Look, <laughs> look, I'm doing this. And I this. know you didn't. Whoa, whoa, no. Come. Yeah, it's just like if you saw that. I mean, Vivek's the only one that raises his hand up, and he's like, "I'm going to do it." You know, because it's it's an easy thing to do. It's like a lot of politicians. You notice they're bought, they're paid for. They don't have a conscience of their of their own. They they want to be liked. They have this addiction to being liked. They want to be. You want to sense that people actually respect them, that they're worth anything in their unforgiving, miserable lives. That's what they want. And so 
you saw Vivek. I mean, Vivek's the only one with the conscience. He said, yeah, because he's been authentic about it. He said, and that's why he's going up in the polls, because he's authentic. And he's actually grateful that their Trump came along, because we all remember the GOP before Trump even announced. It was Jeb Bush, Scott Walker, Chris Christie, Kasich, the old people like Huckabee and Santorum and Rick Perry. And I mean, that's more of what you want. Mitt Romney's. And that, I mean, that was the stage. Marco Rubio and I mean, just a bunch of people that had no business. Carly Fiorina and Ben Carson. I like Ben Carson. He's obviously amazing. I like him. But just a bunch of these people that have no conscience. They're all politicians. And it was interesting to me because DeSantis is really the the number one on that stage. But it's really it's but he's he he hasn't realized it's actually he's tied with Vivek, and he made the mistake and it was really awkward. I mean, he he didn't even go out and like. I'm gonna play this close up because I do have a close up of pretty much um, of what he did when he was supposedly supposed to um, when he was supposed to support him and. You notice that DeSantis pretty much puts his hand up. He looks at Vivek and then puts his hand up slowly. Nikki Haley, Tim Scott, even Doug Burton put their hands up after Vivek. But obviously you can see Vivek's the only one with a clear conscience. He says, yeah, me, I'm going to support Donald Trump. I said it day one. I'm saying it day 2047. I'm going to support Donald Trump. It's like, this is what we're doing here. Like, yeah, I, I said, I first of all, he's the one who said, oh, I'd pardon him. Now, it's ridiculous because he's not going to win, of course. But outside of that, ignoring the big elephant hovering over them, Donald Trump, it's like, you don't have a conscience of your own. So I, I, I pulled up this video here of him, um, a close-up that someone uh, zoomed into that I have here of pretty much him um, looking at Vivek during the question and then raising his hand because it's like, and that's a horrible look. If you would. It's such a horrible look. It, it just makes you seem as if you have no conscience of your own, that you can't decide for your own self whether or not you support Donald Trump. Just say yes. And, and, and I bet you, if you did that, like Trump's attacks, uh, I've kept up with this since 2015 when he went after, when, when he was going after the Republicans. It was actually them who started against him. The only reason he said what he said about um, McCain is because days prior, McCain had said that Trump was bringing out all the crazies in the party. The crazies. Insulting a lot of the people, the working class, ordinary people that voted for him in 2008, voted for his boy Romney in 2012. And yes, yeah, some of them voted for Obama, but were now trying because Trump came along. We're bringing people to the Republicans, something they've been dying for since Ronald Reagan, because they hadn't won the, what was it, the, the five out of six presidential elections. They hadn't won with popular vote. I mean, they were losing, losing and losing, and, and they, were, they weren't they were winning in the federal offices, but they were winning for states, uh, the Congress, and the Senate, but they weren't winning the presidency. Trump came along, the first person to be able to do that in a while and he was insulting those very same supporters. And so the Sanders has a problem with it is that it seems every single day more and more, he's paid, he's bought for, he can't make decisions on his own. In a sense, he's a horrible politician. He can't, he doesn't seem to have a political will of his own. Like, he can't speak, he can't make decisions. Uh, I just don't think he can, he can, he can do things. I mean, he's a great, he's a good governor. 
I won't say great because I still haven't heard him talk about economic policy um, in a detailed way like Trump has. Trump has the tariffs, he has trade wars, he has uh, sanctions, he's talking about manufacturing, the industrial base, he's talking about decoupling from China. I don't hear Ron DeSantis talking about that, and a lot of the other candidates either. But when you see things like that, it's all the optics, by the way. I mean, people saw that. They saw Vivek raise his hand up high. Then he saw Nikki Haley and then Tim Scott and then Doug Burton come and then Mike Pence. Ron DeSantis had to look at Vivek and then raise his hand. Or if he was looking, he might say, I wasn't looking at, well, I wasn't looking at Vivek. He's going to say, I was looking at uh, Nikki or Tim or, Bur or Doug. It's like, buddy, don't look at anybody. Look at the cameras, smile and say, yeah, I'm going to support the nominee because everyone in 2015 supported the nominee. I mean, I'm going to go back, and I can have here the uh, video back in the debates in 2015 when, effectively, Donald oh, Trump said, I'm not going to support the nominee if it's not me. And Trump was like, yeah, me. I'm not going to support the nominee. So I have that video here. It's not in great quality. It's from 2015. It's... But here's the video. Raise your hand now if you won't make that pledge tonight. Mr. Trump. So, Mr. Trump, to be clear, you're standing on a Republican primary debate. I fully understand. The place where the RNC will give the nominee the nod. I fully understand. And that experts say an independent run would almost certainly hand the race over to Democrats and likely another Clinton. You can't say tonight that you can make that pledge. I cannot say I have to respect the person that, if it's not me, the person that wins. If I do win and I'm leading by quite a bit, uh, that's what I want to do. I can totally make that pledge. If I'm the nominee, I will pledge I will <laughs> not run as an independent. But And that was the beauty of Trump, is that he owned it. He owned it. He was authentic. Vivek is trying to be that, but I think he's... I think he's missing a lot, but honestly, for someone in his mid-30s, late-30s, and running for president, giving these old dudes a run for their money, and Nikki Haley a run for their money, I mean, that's great. That's great progress already. That's not demand perfection. But, I mean, about Ron, it's like, dude, if you don't like Trump anymore because of the attacks and you just don't like the, the Trump mania, I mean, the listless, con the listless vessels comments, I get it. There's some context. But he said it without saying it because he's a lawyer. Lawyers are slimy. I don't like them. They have a they have, they have the special ability of being scumbags, sleazeballs, and a whole bunch of other bullshit while smiling at you and and then getting people to believe that they're actually great people. Um, and a lot of them become politicians. Look at the coincidence. The coincidence. And so he had this idea. He said, "I don't want us to be just listless vessels." See. The people are saying, the DeSantis camp is saying, he didn't call them that. He didn't call them that. He didn't call them that directly, but he insinuated saying that we just can't be listless vessels. The people that get up and, and just support Trump no matter what he does. And that's not the majority of Trump supporters. Trump got a lot of flack when he started attacking DeSantis. A lot of flack from Trump supporters. I know because I heard it. I was defending Trump still. I said, look, DeSantis should not run, but a lot of them didn't like it. There was a rally that Trump held where he attacked DeSantis and the crowd did not cheer. The crowd just was went silent. They were like, I don't think we're comfortable with that. And then back when he was president, I can remember another time when uh, Ivanka and Jared came to him because they thought that they were president and they wanted to be president. They're wannabes. He came along and he said, hey, we're going to do this thing about the bump stock. We're going to ban this. 
And everybody in the MAGA movement, including myself, was like, hell no, that's not going to solve the problem. If you're doing that to solve the problem of mass shootings, gun control will not help it. The data is out there. Look at all the towns that have massive gun control. They're not safe. And so there is criticism of Trump, but DeSantis needs to own it. If he's going to say, look, I'm not going to support the nominee if it's Trump because I just don't think he can win and I'm not going to support a loser. Say it. Say it instead of going on Piers Morgan, on Megyn Kelly, and all these other these little podcasts or news segments on, on like Fox News or whatever, and teasing about that. I don't know if I like Donald Trump. I don't. I, I'll win because my record. Say it. Say it. Chris Christie's. By the way, I don't think Chris Christie's worth a damn in his election. I don't think he'll get anywhere near. I don't think he'll win New Hampshire. I don't think he'll win Iowa. Maybe he'll come second or or third or fourth in Iowa. But it's like he needs to. Own it because Chris Christie owns it. Chris Christie says the only reason I'm here is to beat Donald Trump because if that's what I got to do, I'm going to do it. He owns it. He owns it. Vivek went after him about this, but he owns it. DeSantis needs to own it. I mean, I have another video here about pretty much what about the support pretty much of uh, Trump and uh, Vivek talk about um, talk about the uh, the uh, Trump support. And then I, I'll just get into Christian Vivek because that was contentious. That was contentious. You raise your hand supporting. No. I'd like to yeah. get in and respond. Let's just speak the truth, okay? President Trump, I believe, was the best president of the 21st century. It's a fact. And Chris Christie, honest to God, your claim that Donald Trump is motivated by vengeance and grievance would be a lot more credible if your entire campaign were not based on vengeance and grievance against one man. And if people at home want to see a bunch of people blindly bashing Donald Trump without an iota of vision for this country, they could just change the channel to MSNBC right now. But I'm not running for president of MSNBC. I am running for president of the United States. We're skating on thin ice, and we cannot set a precedent where the party in power uses police force to indict its political opponents. It is wrong. We have to end the weaponization of justice in this country. Yeah, bingo. And it's like Christie owns it. He's like, yeah, I'm here. To, I'm here because I'm the anti-Trump candidate, and I'm here to. And the big deal of I mentioned that all the candidates were hyping it up. It's like. Chris Christie hyped it up because he was saying, you know what, Trump, I want to see other debates because I'm going to embarrass you. I'm going to grill you. I'm going to criticize you. I'm going to go after you. Trump didn't go. That's another su a subject, and I'll get to that later. But it's like, buddy, it's like DeSantis, own it. Don't just sit there and try to look less awkward and say, oh, you know. And he kept, he kept tiptoeing around. And then, you know, Nikki Haley, of course, she went out and said, you know, Trump is the most disliked politician in America, and we can't win that way. Oh, she's owning it. She's owning it. She's saying, look, I don't think he can win. But she, even she, and she's a whole bunch of contradictions, okay? So I get it. But even she went out and said, yeah, if he is a nominee, I'll support him. But I think he'll lose. That's actually honorable in saying it. Like, I, I, I disagree. But it's honorable. Doug Burnham, I have no idea what he's going to say. He had, like, one actual accurate thing I actually believe, which I've been saying. And then Tim Scott was a whole complete disaster. I mean, the donors have been piling on, on him. Uh, supporting him. A lot of them are transferring from DeSantis to Scott, and he, I, he just did poorly in this debate. I mean, there was nothing of substance. There was no... Uh, there wasn't really anything there that I said, yeah, I can see why. It's like, no, he just knows how to talk to rich people, and I think he makes them comfortable, and that's why he gets all the support. It's like, I would have loved to see guys like Hillary Elder, even Francis Suarez, help. Bring Perry Johnson on. Democrats had Marianne on. Bring him on. They had Tom Stein, Stein or 
Steyer on or Steiner or Stein, whatever the hell his name is on, on the debate in 2020. Bring him on. Like, that's actually uh, entertaining. Not not the snooze fest. There's just people that are kind of like on the fr- like they're just they're just neocons really. It was a bunch of neocons. Uh, Ron DeSantis who wants to be a full neocon like he is, but still kind of kind of pretend to be MAGA and then you know and then act as if he's the number one in the race. And then Vivek who was effectively Trump in spirit in that debate stage. I'm gonna. We're gonna move on to the next subject of the debate. I'm gonna talk a little bit about Ukraine because that was the that was the second most contentious point about it. And once again, there's that thing about pretty much uh, DeSantis not being able to be accurate on that. It's like, buddy, you gotta be on. You gotta be accurate. You gotta be on top of it. You gotta like support. If you're actually going to support, support, not, you know, pretend to be that I'm going to no actually support it, actually say, look, I'm going to do it or not, not flip flop. So I'm going to play that video here. Let's take a look for twenty four billion dollars more, regardless of that, the specific specifics of that plan. Is there anyone on stage who would not support the increase of more funding to Ukraine? We would not Europe, support it. Europe needs to step up. I mean, I would have Europe step up and do their job. Right, Mr. Ramaswamy, you're, but you're saying you would not too, Governor DeSantis? I will have Europe do, pull their weight. Uh, right would, now, they're not doing you that. Would not support and I think we need to do, to and I think our support should be contingent on them doing it. And I would have support in China uh, to be able to take uh, to be able to take China um, and do what we need to do with China. Mr. Ramaswamy, you would not support an increase of funding to Ukraine? I would not. And I think that this is disastrous, that we are protecting against an invasion across somebody else's border when we should use those same military resources to prevent across the invasion of our own southern border here in the United States of America. We are driving Russia further into China's hands. The Russia-China alliance is the single greatest threat we face, and I find it offensive that we have professional politicians on the stage that will make a pilgrimage to Kiev, to their Pope, Zelensky, without doing the same thing for people in Maui or the south side of Chicago or Kensington. I think that we have to put the interests of Americans first, secure our own border instead of somebody else's. And the reality is, this is also how we project strength by making America strong at home. (laughs) I love that part. If that comes out, I wish he would have gone stronger against DeSantis. He should have went out and said, you know, Ron, you're flip-flopping. He made that signal, like, you know, flip-flop. Then he put, like, his finger in the air, like, hey, you know, where, you know, like, what's the temperature in the room? He just follows what that is. And that's what he was doing. Be clear. You look weak. And he looked weak throughout the debate where he couldn't make clear decisions about, uh, hey, I actually don't support sending aid. I'm not going to support more aid. But the keyest part is that none of them, including Vivek, talked about, how are we going to end this? Like, I get it. We shouldn't be involved. It's not really our business. But what about ending it? Because if China ends it, and I've said this before, if China ends this war, if he brings Zelensky and Putin together and they make a peace deal signed in Peking that the Chinese brokered, it's over for America. America will be seen forever. It'll be done. In terms of foreign policy, our status as the major superpower in the world not a person that has to decide governments. No, as a major superpower, is gone. 
because we'll be seen as what the left has been successful at portraying us as is warmongers. And yes, our record in Afghanistan and Iraq, that's not great. And Obama obviously was a better cheerleader for that movement of the left that wants to tarnish us. But we're better than that. We can be better than that. We can be a global superpower defending American interests without doing these proxy wars. Because at the end of the day, that's really what they did. And so I wish Vivek would have attacked him and gone after him and said, nah, man, you're just you're just flip-flopping again. You went from a you went from a territorial dispute to saying that it was in our interest to keep uh deterrence against Putin. What? What is that? It's obviously that your donor bought and donor sold. And Vivek had been uh, parroting that line the whole night. They got kind of tiresome. He tried, I guess he tried to use that line like Trump had, and it, I guess it worked in certain ways, but I think he got repetitive after a while saying, I'm the only one here who's donor bought, not donor bought, not donor sold, and I'm not controlled by special interests. That's a great line, but he just said it all the time. And, and I love it because it seemed to me, I have no idea why, but Mike Pence seems to have this visceral disgust and disdain for Vivek. Vivek. I don't know why. I guess it's because he called them out and you saw him there pretty much saying, oh, he was talking about me. It's like, yeah, why are you making pilgrimages to, to, to see Zelensky, who's money laundering and stealing our taxpayer funds? And then you say you have no concern for the decline of American cities, American culture. Like you're an evangelical. You talk all about this renewal and the spirit of America and the culture. That's dying because of liberal policies. And yet all you're focused on is a, a on a political crusade against Putin has nothing to do with the decline right now. Yeah, some part, but not, not not any part with Biden's destruction and the liberal destruction that Obama, Biden, the, Clinton, the, 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 the cruel tearing down of our country. But you're focused on that. And Christie too. Uh, but Christie doesn't really matter. I mean, there is that reaction that uh, I have a reaction here that we're going to play about pretty much Pence versus Vivek on Ukraine. Vivek, if we do the giveaway that you want to give to Putin to give him his land, it's not going to be too long for he rolls across a NATO border. And frankly, our men and women of our armed forces are going to have to go and fight him. I want to let the Ukrainians fight and drive Putin and the Russians back out into Russia. I want to just briefly address Pence, Vice President Pence. I have a newsflash. The USSR does not exist anymore. It fell back in 1990. It fell back in 1990, and and I didn't think that was the strongest line, but I think it was accurate because these people seem to have this vision of of Russia as of the Great Soviet Union that's going out and invading these countries. I mean, there is a separate conflict here. The conflict between Ukraine and and Russia does not go back to 1990. It doesn't go back to when they declared independence and left. That's fine. It goes back to the Americans, essentially the Democrats, the Democratic elite in the deep state using intelligence communities, going into Ukraine and stirring up conflict because we want to go against Putin for no reason. And by the way, Obama's the one who said not only a reset with Putin, but told Romney in the debate in 2012 that, oh, Russia's not our concern. This isn't 1989, mocking him. But they were over here instigating a proxy war against the Russians, against Putin, by essentially not allowing a democratically elected Ukrainian president who was... And yes, there was corruption. And yes, there was, you know, shady things going on. But not editorially. Viktor Yukoshenko was democratically elected president of Ukraine because he wanted to make peace with Russia. He did not want conflict with Russia. He was not just pre and pro-Putin. He was pro, let's have good relations with Russia. You should be doing that. If Mexico elected a president, isn't this ironic? 
elected a president that said, you know what? I hate America, and I'm going to be pro-China and pro-Russia because they hate America too. We would be pissed, wouldn't we? And then when China and Russia sends their operatives in, in, wouldn't they be pissed off too? Now, what if Mexico elected a leader that said, I'm going to be so pro-America because I think we should have a great relationship. And then Russia and China go in and send their operatives and then cause a civil war a coup, oust that president, he comes to flee to Los Angeles and then install essentially a puppet of Russia and China in Mexico to oppose the United States. Wouldn't we be pissed off? Hell yes. I would be rightly pissed off. That's what the Russians are saying. You guys, there was a, this guy was trying to be friendly. We had Minsk, the Minsk agreement where we can actually have peace where the disgruntled and disaffected Ukrainian, Russian major, minority in Eastern Ukraine, which identified for the most part, most of the Eastern Ukraine identifies with Russia because historically they've been Russian. They speak Russian. They live Russian. Their culture is Russian. They're ethnically Russian. They they felt like they had no rights in, in, in the Ukrainian uh, parliament, in the Ukrainian du, uh, uh, Duma. They felt like they had no rights. And the Minsk Agreement was going to give them rights, and it was going to give Russia an ability to say, you know what, we're not going to be threatened by NATO again. And that's a concern, another concern that wasn't really addressed. But that was the real cause. Instead of, but instead of that, he's trying to go back to say Russia, Russia, Russia. It's a hoax. It's a hoax. And then Nikki Haley tried to get on his case about, you know, well, uh, try to get on his case about you don't have any experience. It's like, ma'am, what experience do you have? Again, you were the secretary to the UN for a year and then left to go get money from Raytheon and all these companies where you did speaking tours. And now you're running for president, but there's nothing like to be done. What's going on here? Like, what do you really think? This, like, come on now, Nikki. Let's not be funny. And then she says, it shows that you don't have foreign policy experience. Well, what do you have? And what experience does Mike Pence have about foreign policy? And with the biggest foreign policy was done by Donald Trump's Twitter account. Mike Popel was just going over to the play bad, good cop, bad cop. And he was the bad cop. Like, come on now, seriously. And so Mike Pence is trying to take credit for the Trump administration, yet denouncing Trump as much as again. I hate that hypocrisy there. And that's the big problem from that debate. It's that, one, Trump was effectively missing, and we saw the post-Trump GOP as a disaster. It's a bunch of neocons taking over again because the people we thought were on our side are actually not on our side. People we thought, like Ron DeSantis, will just take the money from the donors and wants to make himself like the next Barack Obama, a young private president. Vivek isn't electable on a national stage. I just, I just don't think he ever will. He doesn't hold any political office. I think people are, aren't really looking for that outsider that's a really, really, really outsider where nobody knows him. Because nobody knows him. He's the most Googled. He's one of the most Googled names today and probably will for the rest of the week because now people got to hear about him. Now people got to hear about him. But he's not electable in 2024. Maybe 2028, maybe 2032. But I don't think so for 2024. And then the rest of them, Crispy, Asa Hutchinson, Ada Hutchinson, as Trump calls him. Like, come on, let's say Doug Burnham. Now, I, I will mention the last topic was the abortion. That was the last interesting one. The abortion. Um, now, DeSantis has a tough time defending his Florida abortion bill because he was not gung-ho about it. Gung-ho. Sounds like the guy who invented uh, COVID. Um, he wasn't gung-ho about his support about the abortion bill in Florida. So he kind of tiptoes along to like, what I did in Florida, I'm going to do for the country. Yeah, but you're not like, yeah, is that the point? Are you going to do a, a nationwide ban? And then you saw like the two visions. It was mainly, this was mainly like literally uh, Pence versus Nikki Haley, where they pretty much went out and said, you know, there's two views. 
like Trump got us the end of Roe v. Wade with what he did by electing all those justices and all those judges who passed on this off to the Supreme Court and gave us the chance. And then now all of a sudden, for 50 years, we've been saying we want states to decide the pro-life movement and Mike Pence, the evangelicals are saying, we want to go back farther and say, we want the government to handle it again. But we were just saying we didn't want the federal government to handle it for 50 years. And Nikki Haley, she's going for the more feminist route, but she's pretty much saying women cannot be told in Texas or Florida that they're going to go that they're going to go to jail if they get an abortion. That's not real, and that's not electable. And she's right; it's not electable. I don't think a nationwide ban on abortion works. I think if you really believe in states' rights and if you want to actually have any credibility left, like Republicans are lacking nowadays, you did tell us that you were fighting to end Roe v. Wade because not only was it judicially it was judicial malpractice, the fact that it was upheld. But then you're saying we want states' rights to handle, we want the states to be able to handle that. Leaving this as is and letting the states, each state, make their abortion laws is the right thing. And that's the biggest thing we've been seeing in states that are losing uh, these referendums on abortion is that they don't have the right people out there discussing it. Because one time they hear, yeah, states' rights, your state's going to decide. And then they hear, oh, it doesn't matter because we're going to do a national ban again. But that's what—that's literally what Roe v. Wade was in the inverse. So you can't be a hypocrite and say, I don't like Roe v. Wade because it was an abuse of federal power, but I like this because I like because it agrees with me. You can't do that. That's hypocritical. But Doug Burnham said something pretty clearly, and, and that's really probably the only reason I give him real points. I'm going to play that for you guys here. We need to get back to freedom and liberty for the people in this country. And we can't have we can't have Republicans who fight for 50 years for this great cause and win. to return it back to the states. And then the next day they turn around and go, no, the feds should do that because the feds are stepping into people's lives. They're stepping into people's businesses. And he's exactly right. It's like you can't say that for 50 years. And my pen says, and we won. You're missing the point. You won because Donald Trump was there. That's what I hate about the ungratefulness. It's like, yeah, you can support. I get it. You don't want to be blindly supporting him. But this ungratefulness is saying. Why didn't he do more? It's like, look at all the things he did and look at all the constraints. Any Republican that was outside of Donald Trump that would be elected in 2016 was a rhino, was a neocon. That's point blank. There's no other way around it. That's what it was. We're lucky he came along and ended that trail, that consecutive uh, re-election and reappointment of neocons to the nomination. Like, seriously. And so he gave us all these three judges, Gorsuch, uh, Kavanaugh and Barrett with Alito and Thomas and Roberts, they got rid of Roe v. Wade and then all of a sudden you're saying, oh yeah, no, now we're going to do an abortion event. But that wasn't the plan. And then DeSantis can't even defend his own plan because he was ashamed of it. Remember, he signed that bill on a Friday into a weekend at the middle of the night. Next week, they talk about it. He just glosses over it and goes into the culture war stuff again because that's all he's focused on. Thankfully, in the debate, he didn't talk about it, except for CRT, when he once again dodged the education question. But that was another problem, the abortion thing. And I think Nikki Haley won it on that point, pretty much saying, like, you can't say, like, we're going to do this because we were, we're for states' rights and then turn around and say, you know what, now we, that we won, we're going to ban it with the federal government. You can't hate the federal government and one and then love it in the next sentence. And that's the problem that conservatives are having, it's that. They want to do the same thing as Democrats, but they, even though we know it's not principle, it's not what we do. We don't give the federal power more government to take away our rights because it's not like they're fixing a problem. They're taking away our rights. And then turn around and say, yeah, we're going to do exactly that because we agree with it this time. But that's hypocritical. That's what the liberals do. And we can't be like that.
And so um, I'm going to just uh, finish this off and pretty much um, before we move into the tr uh, Trump and Tucker uh, stuff, just the winners and losers. I think, I really think that uh, the biggest winner was Trump. I mean, didn't you miss him? Didn't you miss Trump? I miss Trump because it, it, there's just it's not it's not captivating. There isn't, uh, and it's not because I want to show a respectable. But the base are kind of like that. Everybody wants to see that that one candidate take one down, but it, there wasn't that that energy. That energy wasn't there. Trump came into 2015, 2016, and 2020 with that energy, and you feel that energy coming back more and more as we get in here. Even with four indictments, more and more probably coming on because you're probably going to try to find something else before. 2024 comes uh, the year 2024 begins it's like you feel that energy man and you just don't get the energy from DeSantis, who was supposed to be the heir apparent the prince of maga he's not energetic right frank pence is bleh chris christie fat ada ada come on doug unknown uh tim corporate nikki forgot you were running honey but i guess you know good luck and then Vivek is, I like him, but he's not electable. And I think a lot of times he's corny and, and not, not polished enough. But I think, again, he's young. He'll be around for a long, but that's the unfortunate reality. It's sad to see that the future of the GOP after Trump may be going back to the same old, same old. And we can't afford it. Because, honestly, the neocons just get, are just Democrats who just give corporations tax breaks. That's kind of what I've always seen about them. The neocons are just liberals who give corporations tax breaks. And like funding the military. That's it. But they're also warmongers. They have that in common. And, and, and they don't care about the working class, despite all the pleasantries they, talk, they they throw out there about them. So Trump was the biggest winner. And if I had to pick one, I really think it's Vivek. Vivek came out sharp. He represented real working class conservatives, a real populist message, a real nationalist, a lo America-loving message out there. He was clear. He was direct. He had He did not hold back. And he was authentic. People could feel that that was really him. Not looking at like another candidate to raise their hand or, you know, or just pretending to be there. Or it was just, he was authentic. He was real. You could feel the energy. You could feel as if Trump was in the room through him. And I think that, that made him a winner. And I think he's going to get a lot of attention. And, and it was really odd to me to see that the focus of everybody was on him. I, I really expected to see Chris Christie focus on DeSantis, but he never really mentioned him. You know, Mike really didn't doesn't like Vivek. I don't know why, but he just doesn't like him. And he went after him after you know from the start. He wanted to go after him. Nikki didn't like to talk about the bot and owned, but guess what, sweetheart, you just are. Everyone on there is except for Vivek. Good, and Vivek might be too, but you know. But uh, it's like be self aware. Like you're just bought and owned by special interests, by billionaires, millionaires, people with the money, the donor class who want things their way. They want to war in Ukraine. They want more money to the military. They want lower taxes. And, and that's what all these guys like Christine, and Ada, and Doug, that's what they're going to get them. That's why they support them. That's why they're there. So Vivek was the clear winner. He had the support. He commanded. Uh, he didn't let the, all the constant interruptions and the lack of time and the moderators pretty much rigged against him get under his skin. He smiled. He laughed. He joked. Uh, what he said to Obama, uh, Chris Christie was hilarious. But, you know, you helped Obama. Give me a bear hug. I love that. I think I have that clip somewhere. We're going to pull that up for you guys. Um, People are dying of bad climate change policies than they are of actual climate governor, change. We, governor Haley, are you bought down by Hold on, hold on. Listen, listen, listen. Hold on, hold on. 
I've had enough already tonight of a guy who sounds like ChatGPT standing up here. And the last person in one of these debates, Brett, who stood in the middle of the stage and said, what's a skinny guy with an odd last name doing up here was Barack Obama. And I'm afraid we're dealing with the same type of amateur standing on stage tonight. Oh, man, give me that bear hug. That's hilarious. Now, that was the only negative. I thought when I heard that, I was like, I heard that somewhere. It's like, then it was like when he said Obama, it's like, yeah, the convention in 2004. Yeah, I'm a young, I'm a, I'm a black, I'm a black guy. I have a weird last name. I can do it too in America. And I thought that those are a weird line to say. I guess that was the, one of the negatives that I had for him. That was such a weird line. It's like, why would you really say that? The Republicans cannot be tribal. That was, remember, Obama, That's he started the tribalism in this country or hyper-accelerated it, where he started talking about race. You know, race was essential to his campaign, you know? It was all about how he was a black kid with a weird last name who was going to do it, you know? That was essential, race, demography. And demography is destiny, as they used to say. Um, that was a big critique. I just didn't like that, in fact. But uh, other than that, you know, Come on, I think I think he won. I think he won. The losers. I think DeSantis came off as weak. I think Tim Scott did horribly in the debate. I think he had no big moment. I don't think he wanted to be aggressive. There was just passivity. He just stood there. Uh, aid is irrelevant, so it's like you can't really lose when you had nothing. It's like did you even play the game? Come on now. And then Chris Christie. I just think I think I think Chris Christie was looking for that Marco Rubio moment, but those come naturally. But but. But Chris Christie, his ability is that he can wind up and then just, and then wreck, be a wrecking ball. You know, he can just get up there and then, um, it's like he can. I mean, if he lands on somebody, that's definitely a nuke. But it's like he was waiting for that moment. But Vivek doesn't let him because he interrupts. So the biggest strategy is interrupt. I thought Chris Christie was going to go after DeSantis. I was wrong. I thought Mike was probably going to go after DeSantis. Um, I mean, DeSantis agreeing with Mike on January sixth or saying. You know, not giving a clear answer. Another sign that he was weak. Just stuff like that. The Ukraine flip-flop and then the, the, the Trump inability to endorse. And then the Ukraine saying, ah, Garrett needs to give more. Answer the question, yes or no to the more aid on the on the part of the U.S. It's like, come on, that's a clear-cut question. But he can't say it because he's boner, donor, bot, donor, or something. It's like uh, Colonel McGregor uh, said that the other day. Uh, or uh, Colonel McDouglas said that the other day. I mean, Douglas McGregor, I mean, he said it uh, uh, with PDB. He said, you know, DeSantis, when he flip-flopped, that told me he's he's donor-bought, donor-controlled. Like, he's whatever his special interest and donors tell give him or tell him to say, that's what he supports. That's why he looked at Vivek or whoever the hell he was looking at and then raised his hand. Such a bad look. He came off as very weak. Um, I, I guess the DeSantis camp is going to say, he was polished. I just don't think so. I just don't think so. I think when you show an, abil- an inability to actually command the room and uh, get into the fray and not be afraid of the conflict and then also be clear and authentic or seem authentic about your positions. I think if you can't do that, you can't win a presidential election because once you're in a debate with a Democrat, especially Joe Biden, you'll be prepared. You know, he's going to try to pull up those things. It's like you flip flop on Ukraine. He's going to mention that you're not you can even defend your abortion ban. He's going to mention that, you know, it's you got to be prepared and aware. You just got it, you know. Um, so I guess that's it for the debate. I, I think probably the main winner is uh, Vivek. Losers is really 
Uh, DeSantis, Mike Pence, and Tim Scott. I think Nikki Haley's a stalemate. I don't think she lost the debate. I think she did well in her parts, very few of them. But I think when she got there, she wasn't afraid. She went right back at Vivek. Uh, her abortion, you know, she wasn't afraid of being called, you know, you're not pro-life enough. It's like, no, I'm just actually, you know, being authentic about what we said. We said states' rights, not states' rights until we win. You know what I mean? Like, that's, that, that was, that's what I believe was authentic. Uh, I'm going to move on to the uh, Trump and Tucker interview. I'm going to play some videos. I don't, I'm not going to really discuss a lot. Uh, just my thoughts on it. Overview was pretty pumped. I mean, us as of now, I mean, like it has two over 200 million views, which is huge, more than the Fox interview. So I think he did his part there. Um, I just felt like this could have been better. There could have been more substance. I feel like Trump could have gone harder on some of the uh, on the questions Tucker asked them, but I still think he gave some insightful things. Um, pretty amusing as always, funny. Um, he's the same old Trump, but I think he could have done more. Um, hopefully we get another Tucker interview in a couple months with, uh, I think, I think Trump, I think Tucker, I hope he enjoys them. I don't know if he does, but I hope he does. I don't know if he does, but I hope he does, you know, cause he's, I think we all enjoy them. I, I think we all enjoy, especially when it's Fox news and all these neocons getting wrecked on. Um, I enjoyed it, but I thought it could be way better. I thought there were some things, maybe if he talked about trade a little bit, maybe if he really talked more about Ukraine and the deep state and like policy anti-war i think i wish if he talked more about that uh stuff like that where he really excels uh record wise and rhetorically i think that would have been better but there were some points that i thought that were great and i think the most interesting one is obviously about the civil war that question and uh, i think that's where i'm going to start do you think we're moving towards civil war there's tremendous passion and there's tremendous love uh, you know, January 6th was a very interesting day because they don't report it properly. Uh, I believe it was the largest crowd I've ever spoken before. And you know some of the crowds I've spoken before. And uh, like July 4th on the mall, uh, I think they had a million people there. Uh, but I think that the biggest crowd I've ever spoken before was on January 6th. And people that were in that crowd, a very, very small group of people, and we said, patriotically and peacefully, peacefully and patriotically, right? Nobody ever says that. Go peacefully and patriotically. But people that were in that crowd that day, very small group of people went down there, and then you, there are a lot, of, a lot of scenarios that we can talk about. But people in that crowd said it was the most beautiful day they've ever experienced. There was love in that crowd. There was love and unity. I have never seen such spirit and such passion and such love. And I've also never seen simultaneously and from the same people such hatred of what they've done to our country. So do you think it's possible that there's open conflict? We seem to be moving I, I towards don't something. Know. I don't know because I don't know what it, you know, I, I can say this. Uh, there's a level of passion that I've never seen. There's a level of hatred that I've never seen. And that's probably a bad combination. And that was a pretty interesting uh, question that Tucker, I wish I, I didn't like that it was at the end, but I guess if you're going to put any, if there's going to be any moment, I guess it's that, you know, um, I guess I'm going to, I'm pulling up another video because there's more things I want to talk about pretty much. Um, really about like, <laughs> there were some really funny moments. They talked about Mike Wallace and then they talked about, you know, um, Biden and stuff like that. That was hysterical to me. But um, 
I found it. I, I just found it interesting. You know, I, I would say this. You know, the 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 neocons who pretend to be Reaganites. A lot of them, what they do is that they have this cheery view that the America's great. It's fine. It'll be fine. This is just a, a speed bump. But people don't feel that way. They feel distraught. There was a poll that said, you know, people feel it was like 75-25, like 75%. Uh, don't fact check me, but it was around this area. Like, they just felt that the country wasn't on track. And a lot of people feel that way. They, they're burning up their savings. They don't know what they're going to do. I mean, the monthly car payment like in New Jersey, New York, it's like 800 bucks minimum. And then for a whole, like a, the price, average price of a home is in the 400s. Uh, and then like average mortgage is like 2400 a month. It's like, and then rents are like almost that. So it's like people don't know what to do. And if you don't have savings, how are you going to buy a home? You're stuck at renting for high prices. That's not even yours. It's not as big as a house either. So I think people are just stuck. They feel stuck. They feel like there's no hope. They feel like there's nothing. Uh, like, like things are just going on the wrong track and there's no politician around or anyone around who's going to step up, run, and change it fundamentally so things get back on track as they were. And I think we're so far removed from the Trump presidency at this point that it's all like a distant dream, like a long time ago, once upon a time, things were great. And then COVID just radically, radically transformed people. I feel it every single day. I think COVID radically changed the, the way people talk to each other. I think a big part of why January 6th inflated itself and why civil war is more likely now is because of that. The reason I think I think I agree with Trump as to like why it's very difficult to uh, to predict those type of things is it's 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 mainly like where would it be? Where would it start out? Is this going to be Waco and Ruby Ridge again? Are we back in the nineties in this crazy wacky time? Because that's what, how it's going to be treated. A, a militia forming out of the out of the North of Richmond in the Potomac, that's not going to happen. Uh, and then an attack on Fort Sumter, I don't think that's going to happen. But how would it work out? Would it work out that if Trump is going to jail, that moms would rise up and attack, uh, you know, police stations or or, or political, uh, you know, mayors' offices and the, the courts? Would that happen? I don't know. I don't think so. And then how would it work? You know, would people just walk into the White House and start, you know, and then how would soldiers react? I mean, that's a huge, huge conflict. I just don't, it's unprecedented. I, I think, I'm thinking, I'm trying to think right now. I have no idea what to say about that. I have no idea what to say about that because I, I don't know how that would work, honestly. But it's such an interesting question because the difference that we have from the Reaganites is that Trump understands the angst. He sees the hatred, but he sees the passion. And he says that and uses that to say, Look at what they did to this country. Look at what they did to you. Look at how they tore, took your jobs away, how they ruined your community, how they flooded this country with, with drugs, with wokeness, all that. And he says, we're going to make this country great again. We're going to kick those people out. We're going to fire them. That's passion. It's hatred, which is a terrible combination. But it's hatred for things, for the rot these Democratic and even Republican traitors have done to us and that's all that's that's legitimate that's justifiable i think that's real i think that's fine i don't think i don't have any problem with that type of narrative um but but people some people just i don't know it's just they just don't feel like that's um a lot of the rain that's feel that you know that's a fringe type of talk they, they still think that you know shining beacon on the on, on the top of a hill that shining capital on top of the hill I, I just don't think people buy that anymore i love that message i love reagan but these neocons that pretend to be Reaganites who hijacked this movement and, and screwed us, the working class, for decades alongside the Democrats, they think that they can keep going with it, but they can't. People like Mike Pence and all of them and Doug Burnham, the main two that follow that line of, of speaking, 
I just don't think that they people resonate with that anymore. And um, I think that's probably the most. I, I I guess I'll talk in another episode about the Epstein and the and the deep state. I guess when Deep's back from his um, autism retreat, uh, we'll talk about that. But I I just think that you know such a fascinating question, but I think it's such a difficult question to answer. It's like, how would you measure that? Like, where, what would happen? What would happen? It was January 6th a melting point for a civil war? If, if a civil war breaks out by the end of this year, would people 25 years from now, 30 years from now, say that, you know what? The civil war began in 2020 when the Trump attackers, Trump supporters did that. You know, like, what would happen? Or would it be 2016? Like, what, what would be the lead up? But it feels like that. It feels like we're in this continuous state of 1850 we're in 1850 1855 1859 it feels like we're there but then it feels like we're not there like we have an opportunity to, to get out of that and get to and maybe we can get back to uh maybe we can have a 1968 election where we elect richard nixon in a landslide or a 1980 election it feels like we're in that crossroads or we're in that fork of the road where we can go this way or that way and we're like close to making that decision um but aside from that like it was common it was funny i'm gonna start off with the um because I talked about Biden, and, I, and I'll start with uh, Biden pretty much about, like, obviously Tucker does not like Chris Wallace, and Trump doesn't like Chris Wallace, but hearing him talk about that, and then, like, the corruption that goes on, him, like, going and talking about stuff like that. So let, let's react to this. Biden and thinks someone else has got to be running the government. Well, somebody else has to be. Uh, I don't think he's capable of doing no. anything. Look, when I debated him, I said, how come, and this was in front of... Probably not a friend of yours, Chris Wallace. He was the moderator. Not a friend. I said, why did, why is it? He wants to be Mike, but he doesn't have the talent. It's one it's of those. Bitchy little, little man. He wanted to be his father, but he didn't have the talent of his father. His father was great. His He's father. A little fussy man. His father interviewed me in 60 Minutes. It was actually a 10. Can you believe it? I, no, I totally believe like, His father got, had talent, at no, least. I may have been the only guy that he gave a good 60 Minutes. So he was rough. Really? His father was tough. He was great, though. He was great at what he did. But uh, Chris Wallace was so upset. He was guarding this guy who wouldn't do a show, by the way. You know, he wouldn't do. I figured I didn't mind Chris Wallace because uh, he wouldn't do. Biden wouldn't do a show. And it was very obvious. You know, he kept asking him and asking, but he wouldn't do the show. So I figured he's got to like me. But he came from a different planet. But remember when I asked the question, why is it that the mayor of Moscow's wife is allowed to give you three and a half million dollars don't forget, that was brought up now. It's brought up all the time. But that was brought up by me long before anyone ever heard of it. I said, the mayor of Moscow's wife giving you three and a half million dollars. What did you do to deserve three and a half million dollars to Biden? And Chris Wallace said, this doesn't, uh, this has nothing to do with the debate. <laughs> I mean, he fought. He got in the way of the question. No, he, well, it was, it was crazy. And I said, well, wait a minute. He got three and a half million from the mayor of Moscow's wife. Now, people forget that, but if you go back and take a look, you will see. And Chris Wallace didn't want me to ask that question. I said, I think it's a very appropriate question. It turned out to be much more appropriate than people thought. Yeah, it's like, yeah, and we all remember when Chris Wallace, but yeah, I went back to that video uh, a little bit afterwards. Um, yeah, he was definitely um, like defending him for like no reason. I, I didn't, I never understood why. But it's like Chris Wallace, like here, he's the guy doing that. You know, come on now. Um, <laughs> uh, and then there's the Kamala thing where he goes into Kamala. That was hilarious. That was funny. Um, 
I'm going to pull that up now for you guys to, to react to it because it's hilarious. But that would make Kamala Harris the candidate? Well, not really. I mean, I guess they'd have uh, maybe a free-for-all. A lot of people say she has to remain for certain reasons, the candidate. She has to. I don't think that's true, actually. I don't think that other people would stand for it. Uh, she has some bad moments. Her moments are almost as bad as his. I think his are worse, actually. Yeah. But she seems pretty senile, too. She speaks in, uh, in rhyme. You know, it's weird. It's weird. But she has bad moments. And in rhyme? What do you- well, the way she talks, the bus will go here and then the bus will go there because that's what buses do. And it's weird. The whole thing is weird. This is not a president of the United States future. And uh, I think they probably have some kind of a primary and other people will get involved. I mean, Newsom, right? I could mean, that's- be. Could be. I mean, you know, I always got along well with him, believe it or not. But could be him. Could be somebody else. He's got a big... A big load on his shoulders because you look at California, what's happened. But I don't know if the American people really, the people that vote for him, I don't even know if they care. You know, you look at so many of the things that are going on and people don't seem to be, in the old days, if you had a bad record, it meant a lot. Today, if you have a bad record, it doesn't really mean anything. You know, he looks good. He's a nice looking guy, speaks well. But Biden, every time you watch him talking, it's like he's walking on eggs. You're waiting for him to collapse. And he almost always does. Yeah, and yeah, he makes a good point actually there about, uh, uh, and I've said it before. It's like people, well, how could they support the the, the newsroom? Like, what? Look at what he did with California. It's like again, people aren't political. It's like he looks good. He's charismatic. He looks good. His hair is like it's gelled up. He's handsome. People buy into that. People buy into it. Like you, you don't think they don't. You really think they don't? People buy into it. That's why he's there. That's why he's the governor. Like, there's so many people that Democrats could select and place into power because that's what they do. They don't really elect anybody democratically. They pretend to. They're all selected people. But like, he's handsome. He's charismatic. He speaks well. I think that that's why DeSantis v. Newsom is dangerous for DeSantis as well because Newsom knows how to talk. He knows how to smile. He knows how to debate. Like, he went on Hannity. He obliterated Hannity. Obliterated him. Why? Because he smiles. He laughs. He cajoles. He's he does, you know, he, but he goes out and he makes his point. But then you look at the state and you're like, but how does that work? Because the state's in horrible shape. And it's like, I agree with Trump. It's like, I don't think people notice that. I don't think people care. I think people outside the country, sometimes they hear it. They're like, yeah, but look at him. I believe him. I just trust him. You know, they get into that place where it's like, he just seems real. It's like, you know, he doesn't seem real, but, you know, I guess if you want to believe him. But that's what people act, you know, with Trump, same thing. They say, I just, I just like what he says. You know, I believe him. He's just not, he's not an insider like them. He's an outsider and they don't like him. So that must mean he's good, you know? And then, but Newsom is like, yeah, he looks good. And I like how he talked to me. I felt, I felt loved. Such a joke. Um, but you know, and he really attacked uh, uh, Biden uh, in this one. Uh, I don't have that video. I'll try to see if I can pull that one up, but you know, it's like, I think he really won this debate pretty pretty much by not going you know it's like he did not get um fox did not get the viewership they wanted i mean fox news is pretty much like declared vivek is the winner of the debate um even though i think trump is really a big also winner of the debate because again it's like if you look at the energy there's no energy except for vivek vivek was exciting he was not a politician because of ukraine stuff like that but like trump won because 
everyone realizes he's the he's the winner. He's the winner, and uh, he's real. And uh, it's just been hilarious to see pretty much how um, pretty much how um, excuse me how um, Trump again, despite not being there, steals the show. And I think it's going to be a tough thing for Republicans post-Trump to replace because none of them are there. None of them have that. Uh, what's that word? It's that funny word. Schwadavine. <laughs> uh, that Trump has in um uh, in what's that in, in supporting or defending and whatever. Um, it's hilarious. It's hilarious. But uh, I love it. You know, I love it. I love it. So um, we're gonna wrap up here. I do not have the debate or the reaction to the uh, Biden clip of. Uh, we'll be posting another episode, uh, I guess, towards the weekend edition with Karen Deep when he's back from his retreat um, with his uh, Andrew Tate incels. And uh, we'll be discussing other topics lately, um, I guess, things like uh, what's going on around the country, obviously. Uh, but in the meantime, like, subscribe, uh, hit that notification button, go to our Patreon if you want to listen to more of our content. We have some funny, entertaining stuff where we talk. You know, we just talk about the news. We talk about stuff that goes on, culture. We just talk. We talk shit. You know, we're shit tellers. We troll. You know, you know. I, I, you know, we do the stuff. We fuck around. You know what I'm saying? So, go to that Patreon. Link is in the description. It's in our bio. Um, to all of our audio listeners, it's in the description. Check us out. I appreciate you guys. Um, this was more of a visual, probably visual, uh, episode. Uh, there was good audio, but you know, more of a visual episode. But again, like, subscribe, follow us on all of our sites, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Samsung Podcast, uh, Pandora, wherever you get your shows, wherever you get your podcasts, Spotify, we're there, always there, present, and always for the Republic. See you guys next time. Bye-bye.